If you have your Bibles, take them, turn to Matthew chapter number 28. <clears throat> I want to talk to you about, in my view, the single most important thing. Let's see, that should make it right. That the church in America, the church in the world, needs to be thinking about, talking about, more than any other thing. And that is, how are we doing with making disciples? How are we doing with making disciples? Again, let's look in our Bibles to verse number 18. Jesus, after the resurrection, after the gathering of the disciples together, very close to the ascension, says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So now having established the authority that he has, he gives the commission to the apostles, to the disciples, to us, the people of God. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Father, help me to do a good job this morning. Help me to connect with these students. And clearly communicate what your word has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to use slides in order to cover a lot of scripture and a lot of ideas to be able to put them together. This church is not a random church picked off of a Google search. This is the very church in Monroe County where I first heard the gospel. This is the very church where I heard about God and Christ and the Holy Spirit and the word of God. This is the place that I saw my dad and my stepmom make a profession of faith. This is the place where I heard the Word of God preached Sunday after Sunday. I ran around as a nine-year-old boy in that very area. To the left is the creek that I was baptized. And that picture represents the church in America today. The church in America is at an all-time decline. COVID has been devastating to the church in America Churches are for sale everywhere. Congregations are voting on a regular basis to close the doors. People like you, young, in your 20s, are absent in these churches. You look across the congregations, and it's silver hair everywhere. And they're being sustained by just bare minimums. We've got to fix this. We've got to reimagine the Great Commission for the church in America. We think Great Commission and we think missionaries and praise God for missionaries. But let's recognize that God has brought the nations to America. God has brought the ethnicities to America. They're amongst us. We are in a very diverse world and our churches are closing when they should instead be growing. What is going on? So let's look at the Great Commission, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Let's look at all the passages together. We read the Matthew passage focusing on teach, baptize, and teach. When we look at the Mark passage, we get a focus on preaching the gospel and baptizing. When we look at the Luke passage in Luke 24, we get an emphasis on repentance and the remission of sins and the fact that this needs to be, again, preached to all the nations. When we look at the John passage, so we're looking at all four synoptic gospels, We get this emphasis on Christ sending the apostles, that they need the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. 
and that they have the power through the words that they preach to see that sins are remitted. So what I want to do for you is I want to pull this all together. So the chart on the screen shows you Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with emphasis on each category. I'm going to use this framework to hopefully make our time as effective as it can be. So again, let's establish the idea that Jesus says, I have all authority from the Father. Now this is what I want you to do. This is why we call it a commission. In the army, commissioned officers receive the authority from the President of the United States. When they speak, they speak on behalf of the President of the United States. So if Jesus says to us, all authority has been given to me, and now I want you to do this, it seems to me that we, his followers, ought to sit up and pay attention. Would we agree or disagree? This is where you could offer just a quiet amen, even if you want to do it under your breath. That would be fine. Some type of agreement as to the fact that the church in America needs to pay attention to what Jesus tells us to do. Do we not believe he's our king or not? Amen. So in Mark, we get this emphasis on the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach in the sense of proclaim. I love Blue Letter Bible. It's a great site. If you haven't used it, I would encourage you to discover it. I go there and I look at this word here for preach. I find that it's a proclamation. It's an open sharing. It's publishing it. Why are you putting this emphasis here? Because there are far, far too many Christians who believe it's the preacher's job to preach the gospel. And if he's not doing it well, that's the problem of the church. Let's all own the responsibility as disciples to be a proclaimer of the gospel. Let's own that. Let's recognize that God gave us the responsibility to share the gospel, to talk the gospel, to live the gospel out, to make it a public proclamation. I look at this Greek word here. I want to drill down it on Blue Letter Bible. It's a great resource. I come down here and I find it. And then I think this, I've been told this is a pointer. I've never used this before. I think it's the top one. There it is. I drill down on this little button right here and I find out that the word is actually an imperative. It's imperative. In other words, it's mandatory. It's not optional whether you preach the gospel. It's not whether you choose to preach the gospel. Jesus told us to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. If you have your Bibles and you love to turn to a place, turn over 1 Corinthians 15. My absolute favorite, favorite passage on the gospel. It is the most succinct, holistic proclamation of the gospel from the Apostle Paul. If it's not something you've committed to memory, put it on your bucket list. If you haven't underlined it in your Bible, underline it in your Bible. If you don't know it as a go-to passage, make it one of your go-to passages. Paul writes, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. So this is why I love to go here, because he calls it the gospel. This is the gospel that I preached unto you. This is the gospel in verse 1 that you received. This is the gospel that you are presently standing on. And he says that if you keep this in memory, if you keep this good news in memory, that you'll be saved, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless your belief, of course, was in vain. Verse number 3. For I delivered unto you of, what does your Bible say? First, first importance. This is the most important thing that the church of Jesus Christ can be talking about. 
And yet I got to tell you, we're plagued. We're talking about finances and relationships and everything other than what we should be preaching. Maybe not your church. Because I don't know your church. But just drive and see the billboards of signs. The billboards of signs. And you get the impression that the church is focused on all the wrong things. And Paul says here that what we need to be focused on is the proclamation of the gospel. So what is the gospel in the simplest terms? What is the good news that you can walk up to any person on the planet and say to them, male, female, all ethnicities. You can look them in the eyes and with the greatest degree of integrity, you can look them directly and say, I need to tell you good news. Christ died for your sins. Sins that separate us from a holy and righteous God have been taken care of through the death of Jesus Christ. Why aren't we talking about this more? Why aren't we telling our unbelieving friends this glorious truth? Why aren't we proclaiming this loudly and boldly? Why have we decided that this is the job of the missionaries to go over to Zimbabwe and do this? Are there not sinners in Beckley? Are there not lost people where you work? Are there not people that need to hear the good news that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that if you will put your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection for your sins, they can be forgiven. What I want you to see here in this chart is the relationship between the remittance of sin or the forgiveness of sins or the remission of sins and the proclamation of the gospel. This is the keys of the kingdom that Christ is talking about here. This is the ability to walk up to any single person on the planet and say, I can tell you how you can have your sins forgiven. I can tell you how you can be in a right relationship with the king of the world, the creator God. I can give you good news today. And this is through the proclamation of the gospel. But now notice in verse number 19, there's no mention of the gospel in the Matthew passage. None whatsoever. It's absent. Instead, he tells them, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Most people, when you hear about the Great Commission, they'll tell you it's all about going. That's not quite accurate. The tense in the Greek there is as you're going or as you're doing life or as you go through the day-to-day activities of being a person on a fallen world or in a fallen world. So this first word teaches slightly different than the other word. And it's also given in an imperative. We translate it teach. But it's a verb. It's a verb. It's an action. Well, what's behind this second imperative? We drill down on this Greek word, this verb, and we plug in here where it says the etymology, the root word, and we find out it's actually the word disciple. It's the noun disciple. So the noun disciple is turned into a verb. And thus, this is where I'm getting the idea of making disciples. Making disciples. So we can understand now from what we learned so far is that number one, we need to be about the idea of proclaiming the gospel. Can we all agree on that? And number two, that the proclamation of the gospel is to make disciples. That we need to be focused on making disciples. I have a theory and I can't prove it, 
But I'm firmly convinced that the reason the church is just struggling after COVID and during COVID is because we weren't focused on making disciples. We were focused on soul winning. We were focused on proclaiming the gospel. So we have these people that are saved or not saved. No one really knows. You and I can't say one way or the other. They bear almost no fruit whatsoever. So it's very difficult to call them disciples. And we didn't ever tell them that they needed to be a follower. Let me calm myself down. Because I can get really passionate about this. Ten days ago, I was watching a funeral. And the independent fundamental Baptist preacher was talking about making sure you get your ticket to heaven. Can I tell you that Christ did not die for your sins so that you could get a ticket to heaven? That is a degradation of what he accomplished on the earth. Christ died so that your life could be transformed. And from the moment of your salvation, you would become a follower of Jesus. And that your entire life would be characterized by bearing fruit for your king, for your Lord. This idea of saying, and we do need to preach the gospel. Don't minimize in any way, shape, or form what I'm saying. But the preaching of the gospel is to bring about the conversion of the soul so that the person can then become a follower of Jesus. And we, we, we seem to have lost that. So I can't help but to wonder, to what degree has the judgment of COVID proven the difference between the wheat and the tares? And no one's even talking about it. Let me just draw a parallel for just a moment for you. The older you live, the more you become aware of these things and you think about them. I don't know why that is, but that's just the truth. Our nation is in debt in an inconceivable way. It's, it's $32, 33000000000000 trillion. It's a number that is beyond our comprehension. It's, it's so abstract that it's not even being talked about as a problem. We just go about living our lives. Well, I would like to draw a parallel that the church has lost its way on making disciples so much that it's not even talked about anymore. It's just not even talked about. And the church will not make it if it doesn't make disciples. That's how churches grow. That's how churches survive. That's how they move from one generation to another. So we have two imperatives in the Great Commission Imperative number one is that we preach the gospel. Imperative number two is that we make disciples. And again, give you one reference, and I could have done 30 scriptures on this. Mark 6, 1, and he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And that's the single characteristic of a disciple. That's how you know whether you're a disciple or not, because you are concerned about following Christ. He is a priority to you. It's not enough that you've believed on him for your salvation. It's not enough that you're trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is your Messiah. He is your King. You care about what Jesus thinks. You care about this. This is a priority in your life. Disciples 
Follow Jesus. And Berean, we've come up with this definition. It's nothing special about it. But we feel like we need to talk about it at Berean. That's the church that it's my privilege to pastor. I've been there for 17 years. Before that, I was there for 14 years as a member of the congregation. So for 30 years, I've been involved in this ministry. It is my life. Disciple is a person who believes that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one of Daniel chapter 9. But not only is he the Christ, he's their Lord. Not only is he their Lord, he's their Savior. And by the way, you don't get to pick and choose what you like about that. You don't get to decide, well, I'll take A but not B. That's who he is. And you accept him in his totality. And they are striving, and we've organized it like this, to think, be, do, and proclaim like Jesus. To think, be, do, and with my mouth, proclaim like Jesus. In other words, if Brian Baptist Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina is going to be about making disciples, then we need to communicate what does that look like? What does that look like to make disciples? What does it look like to be a follower of Christ? In other words, I'm a platoon sergeant on Fort Bragg. I'm a small business owner in Fayetteville. I'm a doctor. I'm a nurse. I'm a school teacher. What does it look like to be a follower of Christ and be a school teacher? What does it look like to be a small business owner and be a follower of Christ? How does that impact my thinking? How does it impact my being? How does it impact my doing? And I would suggest to you, That as a student, as an athlete, as a musician, as a worker, you too need to be embracing that. I would suggest to you that if this campus is all about making disciples, then this means that in our conversations around our devotions, in our small groups, in our Sunday school classes, we're going to be having conversations about what does it mean to think like Christ in the year 2023 in Beckley, West Virginia? What does it mean to think like Christ with the current political environment? What does it mean to play like Christ on a soccer field? And it just, it, it, in other words, there's no impact and no area of your life where it doesn't impact. Husband, friend, brother, sister, coach, teacher. Nothing's off limits to King Jesus. So again, let me remind you, the only two imperatives are, number one, preaching the gospel, and number two, making disciples. Those are the imperatives. You may not stay in the Beckley area. There's a good chance that you'll go when you graduate somewhere else. Is that a fair statement? Many of you are going to leave the Beckley area. Raise your hand. If you think there's a possibility you're going to leave the Beckley area. Let let me just tell you, there is a strong probability that after searching for the best church you can possibly find to be a part of, the very best church that you find in your community is not about this. That it's not a given. Don't assume that it's all happening there. There's a strong probability that you will have to make this your mission and your ministry in that church. In other words, can you as a fourth grade Sunday school teacher be about making disciples? Yes or no? Of course you can. Of course you can. I was talking to a first lieutenant on Fort Bragg, West Point graduate, one of the sharpest young men I've met in probably 10 years. Dr. A, a brilliant mind. You know, just you can just 
Wow, you're way smarter than me. You know, you ever met a person like that? Raise your hand. Have you ever met a part, person you're like, well, you're way smarter than me. And so he's describing to me his first mentor in his fifth grade Sunday school class. A fifth grader talking about a mentor, thinking about a mentor, the people that impacted his life. I knew he was a sharp man. He showed up on Sunday morning well-dressed. That doesn't mean that you're a sharp man, but it got my attention. But what got my attention is when he came back on Sunday night, when he was back in his place, because 50% of our church doesn't come back on Sunday night, and I dare say 50% of your church doesn't come back on Sunday night. But he showed up right in his place. So I knew this man was someone that God had brought to our church. So we said our amen, and bam, he was out the door. Sunday night, out the door, boom. So I beat him out the door, got in his truck. I followed him. Yeah, I know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm not the normal preacher. I get that. He was driving away, and I banged on the side of his truck. So he slowed down, rolled his window down. I said, do you have a hot date? Are you going to a hot date? And he said, I wish. And I said, why are you leaving so quick? Well, the church was over with. I said, how are you going to get to know us and we you if you're leaving that quick? When can we go to lunch? In other words, I knew that God had brought him into my life and that we needed to have a relationship. We needed to have a relationship. So my thoughts are you can't make disciples without preaching the gospel. And it's not enough to only preach the gospel. We must be about the business of making followers of Christ. This is that church that I was showing you. I couldn't get in because the doors were locked. I wanted to take a picture of the inside because this is what many churches in America look like. They're empty. And somehow we've become content that they're empty. We need to re-engage ourselves in the idea that these pews are not supposed to be empty. John reminds us that they received the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them the Holy Spirit. Why, why am I bringing this up? Because I don't want you to think that we're doing anything in our own strength. I want to remind you that John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus that you can't be born from above. You can't be born again apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. That we're not doing this in our own power. We're not doing this in our own strength. That we're absolutely committed to the acknowledgement that only through Christ can we do anything. That if we leave the vine, we can do nothing. That we must be connected to the Holy Spirit. So in other words, you simultaneously are working this way relationally with believers and unbelievers, and then you're focused on your vertical relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. In other words, Holy Spirit and living God, you dwell in me. Yes or no? So help me speak. Help me proclaim. Help me share. Give me the right words. I don't know if you've ever done that before. But when you do it, and he does it, you're like, wow, prayer works. I had no idea what I was going to say. I had no idea that I could share that. Where'd that scripture come from? And it's the spirit of God working in you. 
If you've never experienced that, I want to challenge you to start praying, God, the Holy Spirit, use me to be a mouthpiece. Use me to proclaim truth. Use me. So again, in and through the Holy Spirit, disciples make disciples. And then, of course, we need to see him baptized. We need to see those followers of Christ baptized. In Berean, we actually do a membership interview. We don't just quickly dunk them and move on. They have to have an interview. We want to hear their salvation testimony. We want to hear why they think they need to be baptized. Our objective is not just to come up with a number count of the number of people we baptize. We want to make sure we're baptizing who? Followers of Christ. So again, let's look at the final idea of teach right here. Let's, let's make this relationship. Once again, I move the arrow. It moved from re- receive the Holy Spirit to now to this fourth idea of teaching here. This fourth idea of teaching. Teaching them to observe all things and whatsoever I have commanded you. Disciples teach disciples. No, that's the preacher's job. No, that's a mistake. That's why the church is failing. That's why we're not making disciples. In Berean, we're talking in terms of three ideas here. Corporate, small group, and micro. Corporate, small group, and micro. So what's corporate? Corporate's what we're doing right here. And I'm trying to make it as effective as I can by using slides and engaging with you and making eye contact, but it's marginally effective. What could be even more effective? Well, if 10 of us got in a room together and we talked about discipleship where we could interact, we could actually increase the effectiveness of this conversation. But wait a minute. What if four of us went to lunch together and all we talked about during our time was making disciples and how effective we're doing and what could we do? See, that's the difference between corporate, small group, and micro. Micro is two or three of you engaged in disciple-making together. It's small groups really focused on challenging each other on how am I doing with my walk with the Lord? Where do I need to go? In those micro groups, you can have real transparency. You can have incredible honesty. You can just look someone in the face and say, I'm really struggling with this area of following Christ. Can you help me be accountable? You never say that to the entire church. You probably wouldn't even say it to your Sunday school class on Sunday morning for fear of what they might think of you. But do you have anyone that you could say it to in a small group? Do you have anyone that you could work in that small group idea? Because we believe that disciples teach disciples. We're trying to give it a name, and it's called relational discipleship. Relational discipleship, the idea that you're in relationship with somebody else. If I could graph it out for you, the slide on the wall is an attempt to communicate what we're trying to prove at Berean Baptist Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. On the left-hand side is the efficacy of discipleship. How effective is it? Am I really making a difference in someone's life? Are we producing fully functioning followers of Christ? Are we, are we creating people who think and be and do and proclaim like Christ? And what I want to submit to you is, I believe by the example of Christ, that by the degree to which I'm in relationship with God and others, either increases or decreases the efficacy of discipleship. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if we could take this auditorium here and we could say, you guys will have no relationships other than big group right here. You won't have any small relationships. You'll only have this entity right here.
And then you guys will have small group relationships only. And then on this far side, my right, your left, we would say, we want this side engaged in corporate exercises like chapel, Sunday morning church, small groups like Bible studies. And then we want each of you to find two or three folks and really commit to be in relationship with one another. Who do we think that we'd see grow more as disciples? This side, this one, or this one? Over here, right? Yeah. So we're making an effort not to create another program because programs come and go. We want it to be organic where I understand and you understand that God put me on this planet to be in relationship with him and others. So I'm going to seek out people that can help me in my walk with the Lord. And I'm going to be open to God bringing people into my life that I can help grow. How many of you feel like you could do that? I don't know if you are. You all able to raise your hands? Is that is that authorized in here to, to raise your hands? Yep. All right. How many feel like you could do something like that? I, I'm not saying we start a program. I'm in no position to do that. I'm saying that you pray about it. Lord, bring someone into my life that I can help them grow and bring someone into my life that they can help me grow. And be open to the idea that God providentially brings someone into your life. I have two minutes. We ask and answer at Brian all the time, what does it mean to follow Jesus in this area? What does it mean to follow Jesus in this area? The two components of discipleship in my mind are one, learning, and two, application. It's not enough to learn. We're not trying to create academic, intellectual with no application. What's the point of that? It'd be like a musician who always just learning, 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 but never actually playing. No, we need to apply what we're learning. So again, we're asking the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus in my thinking? What does it mean to follow Jesus in my being? What does it mean to follow Jesus in my doing? What does it mean to follow Jesus in my proclaiming? So again, this is what I see when I look at the Great Commission, when I look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when I put it together. If I could give you a Great Commission primer, this is Great Commission 101. I would say, number one, learn the gospel, get to where you can proclaim it. Number two, recognize that God put you here to make disciples, that the subset of making disciples is seeing them baptized, and then this ongoing teaching ministry, and then never lose sight of the fact that it's for the whole world, it's for all the ethnicities. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you would be pleased to use the proclamation of your word in such a way that these students would be engaged in starting a relationship. Being open to the idea that God has brought someone into their life and that they need to be discipling and God has brought someone into their life to help them grow as a disciple. That this is why they're here. That a life of service revolves around making disciples directly or indirectly. In Jesus' name, amen.